Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a galactic football league novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies. Big news, but first, a warning. There is a mid-roll ad in this episode. It is for Audible. It takes a minute, so just roll through with it. It's cool. Let's get the big news out in the open, right out of the gate. We have signed a book deal for The Crypt. We will be working with Athon Books to put out a five-book series featuring the PUV James Keeling. It will be audiobook, paperback, hardcover, and ebook. Athon is a young, hungry company. They really get ebook marketing, which is something that A Real Girl and I realized we kind of suck at. We've never been very good at it. And these guys really can do that. And there's there's a lot of books to be sold in the ebook market, which we've never really cracked all that well. And they're going to be doing all of the marketing, all of the package design, all the stuff a publisher usually does. That means this deal gives us more time to actually write the books, which we're really excited about. The first draft of the Crypt Book One is due to Athon in June of 2022. Now, I'm pretty sure I can meet that deadline, but we have no idea when the books will be published As soon as we find out, I will let you know. As for a story that happens 200 years after the crypt takes place, let's get back to the Stone Wolves. Let me get you caught up on the story, and then we're all going to go hit the craps table and throw them snake eyes. Previously on the Stone Wolves. Killian and the Oleran crew snatched Redwire from a secret Kretorakian prison. But Redwire's past is a secret, too. How did he come to play for the INF Krakens? And how did he get mixed up with the Zoroastrian Guild? Find out next on The Stone Wolves, episode number 19. Kellyan slumped into his easy chair in the rumpus room, reached for a Miller lager in the nearby cooler, and paused. As much as he wanted to dull the emotions swirling inside his head, the past crashing into the present, the betrayal by and the death of his once lover, he needed a clear mind for the conversation that was about to unfold. What to do with Redwire? Zan's walking schmeck stood close by, as still as a bulkhead. This time, She'd chosen a maroon-stuffed bantha for a face. Sometimes, Zan was weird. Red sat in the rumpus room's threadbare couch, dressed in Killian's clothes. As big as Red Wire was, the clothes were too large for him. He looked like a kid wearing his older brother's hand-me-downs. Red was doing his level best to ignore Beans, who was sitting on the couch next to him, raspers hanging out, 
and drooling saliva, staring up with wordless, four-eyed, puppy-like devotion. Remember when you were with the Krakens in the Tier 2 playoffs? Beans asked. And you threw a touchdown pass to Milford and another to Ridgefield? Redwire sighed. Yes, I remember. That was awesome, Bean said. Questions like that had gone on for the last five minutes. Killian could have rescued Redwire, but watching his harmless discomfort was fun, and everyone on the ship was sorely in need of fun. If only there were more time for fun. Business came first. Let's get started, Killian said. We need to... Two eye stalks swiveled his way, so sharply it caught him off guard. Wait for Aya Papaya, Bean said. Killian thought of the girl's, no, the woman's wounds, and her near overdose of stim. She's recovering, Killian said. We'll catch her up when... We should wait, Zan Schmeck said. I suspect she will deal with her pain. Bean's supporting Aya, Killian understood. But Zan? Maybe Zan was warming up to her. Killian glanced at Redwire, raised an eyebrow. Red shrugged. I'd rather wait for Aya, too. She did a hell of a job back there. That was the truth. As tiny as Aya was, she'd stood tough and delivered. Still, the wounds Aya had suffered. Rejuve tank or not, he didn't see her rallying anytime soon. Then, as if to prove his thoughts wrong, Aya Omiata rolled into the rumpus room in a wheelchair that looked like it might fall apart at any moment, yet moved smooth as silk. Aya looked even worse than the cobbled-together chair. You should be in the med bay, Killian said. Aya sniffed. You ordering me there, Skipper? He thought of doing just that, but she'd proven beyond any doubt that she could make her own choices. No he said. I always thought you were hell on wheels. Looks like I was right. Aya's sheepish grin did little to bring color back to her pale complexion. Her skin tone was closer to periwinkle blue than her normal amethyst hue. Red wire stood, looked at Aya, put his hand over his heart. I can't thank you enough for what you did, he said to her. He glanced at everyone in turn. That goes for all of you. I have critical work to do, and thanks to this crew, I have a chance to complete that work and save billions of lives. Billions of lives. The drama of a salesman, or was that a realistic number? Sorry about your friend, Aya said. If that's what Fanaka was, I mean. I know you used to fight alongside her, you and Skipper. This has to be hard for you both. Fanaka was only a few hours gone, but Killian had already come to terms with his former lover's passing. She'd done what she'd had to do for her children. Killian understood that. Redwire did too. Fanaka's watchbot, Killian said. You get anything out of that, Beans? Four eye stalks again stared straight at Redwire. The Sklorno lost in hero worship. Beans, Killian said. That got the little guy's attention. Three of the four eye stalks locked on Killian, although one of them remained fixed on red wire. I found nothing, the Sklorno said. I removed and destroyed all transmitters and receivers. It had an advanced processor 
along with a dual data storage unit. I removed those as well. Nothing in there but the operating system and a tippy top-of-the-line language processor. There was an empty slot for another data storage unit, but the connections were bent and corroded. It hasn't been used in probably a cousin years. Aya snorted. Uh, a dozen, Beansy. One of Beans's eye stalks swung her way. I've been working hard and have not slept at all, Aya, Lusclorno said. She shook her head. No, that's doze-ing. A doze-in is a unit of measurement, meaning 12 or something close to it. But a unit of measurement is by definition not abstract, Bean said. I am not understanding what... Enough, Killian said. Figure out terms later. Beans, you're telling me there is no data on peaches that could help us backtrack the sentience who sent Fanaka to us? The Sklornos fur fluffed, then lay flat. I'm afraid not, Skipper, he said. I have equipment doing a deep analysis of the storage to make sure I didn't miss anything, but I can already t- t- tell you I did not. As if Killian needed even more bad news. There was no data on peaches that could lead to Thorn. Finish your scan and destroy the watchbot, he said. Now all four eyes swung toward Killian. But Skipper, it's a really nice machine, Bean said. I want to turn it into a schmeck for Zan. The chassis can't transmit. It's not armed. It has no trackers like the data cube did. One eye stock rotated to look at Aya. No incense intended. Uh, you mean no offense, Aya said. And none taken. Offense? The four eyes swung back to Redwire. Are we talking f- f- football again? Killian glanced at Zan. What do you think, Exo? You want that watch bot for one of your rides? Yes, I do, Zan said. I have to admit, it is much sleeker and prettier than Beans's original creations. No incense intended, Beans. None taken, the Sklorno said. Killian trusted Zan more than any other sentient, but Beans was a close second. If he said there was no way the chassis of Peaches could be a tracker, then that was a fact. Go ahead and turn it into a schmeck, Killian said. If Zan wants it, that's fine. Beans, how long will that conversion take? The Sklorno didn't answer. He'd obviously tuned out everything but his godling again. Remember when you were playing for the Nemesis Nightflyers and you threw for three touchdowns in the conference championship against... Beans, that is enough, Zan's walking schmeck said. Our guest has been through quite an ordeal. Even a godling deserves a few moments of quiet. Bean said nothing. The four eyes stared. A string of drool fell from a rasper to pool on the couch. The nemesis night flyers. That brought back memories. People didn't know how old Redwire really was. When Killian had joined the guild in 2642, 44 years ago, Redwire was already in Fanaka's crew, the same crew that would soon become known as the Krizatu, as the Stone Wolves. Redwire had been just 15 years old then. Killian had never seen anyone with such natural gifts for piloting and demolitions. The kid was a bona fide wonderkind, a Mozart of mayhem. Despite the vast differences in their ages, Killian and Redwire had become fast friends. Redwire 
had been 24 years old when he was poisoned with tetracycline. He was placed into cold sleep until a cure could be found. The first real casualty suffered by the Stone Wolves. Shortly after that, Killian left the group and the guild. When Recoil sent her plea for help ten years ago, the Watokian also informed Killian that Redwire was alive. Red was unfrozen and cured of the poison. Then, the guild put him through extensive body sculpting, a process that took two years to complete. It was a major investment by the guild, but Redwire's mission objectives no longer involved piloting and demolition. He already had astonishing coordination and reaction time. The sculptors increased his skeletal strength and added enough muscle mass to almost double his weight. Bigger, stronger, and faster, Redwire was given a new role to play. In effect, he'd been biologically modded to be placed into the GFL, an organization that allowed no mods. He was a spy who could hide in plain sight and use the perks of his new position to find and relay incredibly valuable intel back to the guild. This episode is brought to you by the 30-day no-risk trial of Audible you can get at audible.com slash Sigler. If you like listening to human people speak words, Audible is the spot for you. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks, full cast audio productions, and thousands of popular and binge-worthy podcasts. With my crazy schedule and my ADHD, sitting down with a book is nearly impossible. With audiobooks, though, I get my read-on with every dog walk, every workout, every household chore. As an Audible member, you get one credit a month good for any title, including bestsellers and including giant books with so much literary girth, they're 20 hours or more in length. Heck, The Stone Wolves is there, ad-free, and so is Mount Fitzroy, the 880-page sequel to EarthCore. You also get free access to the Plus Catalog, which is filled with thousands of audiobooks, original entertainment, guided fitness and meditation, and ad-free versions of your favorite shows and podcasts. Try Audible for 30 days. Don't like it? Cancel it and pay nothing. Visit audible.com slash Sigler or text Sigler to 500-500. That's audible.com slash Sigler or text S-I-G-L. L-E-R to 500-500. And now back to our story. Killian had never known Redwire's real name. After the sculpting, guild operatives fabricated a detailed background for Red. He went by the name of Yitzhak Goldman, born in Ionath City, to immigrants from Tower. His parents had died when he'd been young, which led to him being a loner. He never played organized youth sports. Only as an adult did he start competing in amateur track, field, and swimming events. He dominated those and soon drew the attention of a Tier 3 owner. Months later, the standout natural athlete Yitzhak Goldman signed with the Nemesis Night Flyers, a team in the Quith Football Association. His ascent from nothing to pro football, skipping youth sports altogether, was a convenient story, but not entirely uncommon in the GFL. There were many players, even big stars, who had never played the game until their size, speed, or ridiculous athleticism drew attention from scouts. Goldman eventually moved up to starting quarterback for the Night Flyers. The games he won were often fixed by the Guild, letting him shine as a standout talent. After three seasons in Tier 3, Greedock the Splithead 
signed Goldman to the Tier 2 INF Krakens. Goldman mostly rode the bench, playing behind two-time GFL champ Don Pine, but that didn't matter. The Guild had what it wanted, an upper-tier member with full GFL diplomatic immunity. A messenger that couldn't be searched, couldn't be questioned, and could move information across the galaxy. The long-term plan had paid off. While strings had been pulled to get him onto the Krakens, though, the man obviously played well enough to keep his roster spot. Maybe he'd been a bargain for Greedock the Splithead. Killian didn't really know. Redwire had played for a decade in the galaxy's toughest league. He hadn't seen a lot of playing time, the one big exception coming when he started at quarterback for the Krakens in the 26-83 Tier 2 title game and led his team to victory. Counting that game, he was part of three championship squads. Maybe he didn't have the abilities and skills of all-time greats like Don Pine or Quentin, but Redwire had more than proven himself as an elite athlete. And Redwire had proven instrumental in getting Quentin into the league. Killian had kept tabs on his son from a great distance. Nothing that might expose Quentin to the threats that hounded his father. No possible exposure to the Guild or Thorn. Normal sports news coverage from the Purist Nation let Killian know that Quentin had signed with the McCovey Raiders. At first, Killian had been nervous about having his son play for Stedmar Osborne, a known gangster, but that concern faded as the first few broadcasts of Quentin's on-field exploits reached the Oleron. Killian could see the boy was a special player, one destined for greatness, if he got a little help. That was when Killian broke his decades-long policy of ignoring the Stone Wolves and quietly reached out to one Yitzhak Goldman. Redwire had been thrilled to hear from his old comrade. When Killian told Redwire about Quentin, Redwire said he'd see what he could do to get the kid onto the Krakens, where Redwire could help look out for him. It had been Redwire who got Quentin on the radar of Masal the Efficient, Greedock's top underling and, apparently, the unofficial chief talent scout for the Krakens. It had been Masal who convinced Hokor the Hookchest to consider Quentin. It had been Hokor the Hookchest who urged Greedock to sign Quentin. And now, years later, Killian's son was a two-time GFL champion. Would Quentin have achieved that goal on his own? He would have achieved something, to be sure. But at Ionath, Redwire had been able to keep an eye on Quentin to try to subtly steer him in the right direction. For that, Killian could never thank Redwire enough. The heavy guilt returned. Recoil had reached out for help. Killian had ignored that request, instead choosing to act in his own family's interest. If Killian had helped Recoil, would his fellow Stone Wolf still be alive? There was no way to know. Recoil, dead. Lulz, dead. And now, Fanaka, dead. Only two wolves remained. Thank you all for rescuing me, Red said. But this isn't even close to being over. I need your help, Aya. And yours, Zan. And killers, and... I vote yeah, 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 yes, Bean said. Killian gritted his teeth. He'd done his duty to his friend and lost a friend in the process. This adventure was finished, 
But Beans was going to be a pain in the ass for sure. He hasn't even asked you anything yet, Killian said. Whatever it is, the, uh, the answer is yes, Beans said. Even if it's a Hansel Gretel, I will serve his milkiness. Redwire glanced at Killian. Hansel Gretel? Never mind, Killian said. Look, Red. I'm guessing you all know what the Vermada are, Redwire said, plowing forward. I'm sure Fanaka told you. The Vermada are up to something big. They have a weapon they call the Cruncher. I don't know what it is exactly, but I know they think it can kill an entire planet. I need all of you to help me find it and destroy it right now, before it's too late. Killing adjusted himself in his chair, thought again about grabbing a beer, and again thought the better of it. Look, Red, we're all happy you're free, he said. That mission cost us dearly. Our ship is low on supplies. We didn't get paid, and unless we got very lucky, the bats will be looking for a certain donkey-class cargo ship. I know you need to connect with your wife and kids. Let them know you're alive. We'll drop you off wherever you need to go, but I'm going to save us all some time and say we're done. Whatever your cause is, it ain't our business. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Redwire's friendly demeanor faded away. He was a taker of lives, just like Killer was. I can't see my family, Red said. Not yet. With my escape, their lives are at risk now. From Thorn, from the Vermada, from the Empire. As much as it twists my soul, if I stop to save them, billions of lives could be lost. I'm choosing the greater good, even if it means losing my own life or the lives of those I love the most. Killian 
felt a chill. What Red was saying wasn't that different than what Killian had done, but it was also the polar opposite. To protect his family, Killian had run, had hid, while Redwire wanted to attack, to fight. The Oleron is fast, Redwire said. Faster than anything I've heard of. I need to get to Rurgurk as soon as possible. You need to take me there. Killian instantly regretted telling Red about Beans's double punch drive. He'd wanted to give Red some hope, and he'd wanted to brag about his crew. No good deed goes unpunished. It's not happening, Killian said. Sorensen's Guide to the Galaxy says Rurgurk is the most dangerous inhabited planet to visit in known existence. It is literally the worst place in civilization to go, and you want us to take you there? Redwire nodded. Not want, need. I have to get there fast, and without drawing attention, billions of lives could depend on it. The hyperbole was getting a little tiresome. You're a bigwig in the freaking Zoroastrian guild, Killian said. You can't tell me you don't have connections. Yes, I have connections, but none I can trust, Redwire said. The Vermada is everywhere in the guild. Any message I send might get picked off. Only four sentients knew about the information I have, yet Thorn learned of it and tried to capture me. Come on, killer. I wind up getting rescued by one of the only people in the galaxy I know I can trust, and he's an experienced smuggler who knows how to run quiet and owns the ship that can get me to where I need to go faster than any other? It's a sign. A sliver of Killian's mind latched onto Redwire's superstitious nature. Red had always been into religion, had always thought he was on the side of good, that it was his destiny to change things for the better. Well, God could be on his side, because this time, Killian was not. I said, no, Red. Hitch a ride to Rurgirk with another ship. We're not doing this. That's final. Killer, it's Thorn, he said. He's behind this. Vinaka's dead because of him. So is her husband and children. You can just walk away from that? Even when holding Killian's feet to the fire, Red was considerate. He hadn't mentioned that Thorn was also responsible, at least indirectly, for the death of Killian's wife and two of his sons. Red didn't know what Killian had told the rest of the crew. Helping you won't bring Fanaka back, Killian said. Or her husband, or kids, or anyone else who died because she wanted to hand you over to Thorn. All that will happen is more sentience will die. No, killer, you got it backward. Red rubbed at one of the bandages covering his many bruises. If you don't help, more sentience will die. A lot more. And the balance of power in the galaxy will shift forever. If the cruncher does even half the damage we think it will do, the galaxy will be thrown into chaos. Killian tried to hold Redwire's stare, found he could not. The kid still believed. Even after Fanaka's betrayal, he still believed. I wish you nothing but the best, Killian said. But I almost lost a crew member today. I told you we're out and that's final. Aya rolled her wheelchair closer. No, it's not final. 
Now you want to be a coward? The horns of Zan-stuffed Bantha wobbled as her head turned sharply to face Aya. You watch your place, Zan said. Remember who it is you are speaking to. Zan alternated between apparently liking Aya or despising her. So fast, Killian could barely keep up. Was Zan testing her? Aya didn't give in. We all get a vote on the jobs we take, she said. Remember? What in the hell was the girl thinking? She'd been shot twice. A smart person would want nothing to do with this. Aya Papaya is right, Bean said. And y- 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 you know it. We discuss the job and then we vote. Zan's schmeck strode closer to the couch. Beans's fur fell flat against his segmented shell, and his eyes retracted until there were spots of wetness peeking out from the coarse black tufts. This is not a job, Zan said. We are financially in the hole, and there has been no offer of payment for this service. Oh, I'll pay, Redwire said. The guild, the real guild, still has resources, even though the Vermada has torn us apart. It doesn't matter. We have to do this. Aya nodded vigorously. Are you happy, Zan? You'll get your damn money. I believe what Goldman is telling us. We have to try to stop this thing, whatever it is. We can make a difference. I call a vote. You call a vote? Zan's voice rose, which did not happen very often. You are not even officially part of this crew yet. Trial members, do not get to... Killing reached down and slapped the top of his beer cooler, slapped it hard, cutting off Zan's diatribe. All eyes, living and stuffed alike, turned toward him. Aya had performed like a soldier. She'd stood brave in the face of enemy fire. And that move she'd done with a tough luck gun? That was the only reason Redwire and Killian were still alive. Zan didn't get to treat Aya like some stowaway. Not anymore. Not after what happened on the borehole. I call a vote to make Aya's position permanent, Killian said. I call it right now, and I vote yes. Bean slipped one tentacle up into the air. As do I. Yes, yes, yes. Could a stuffed bantha look angry? Killian didn't think so. Yet that's exactly how Zan seemed to look at that moment. I am the XO, she said. I do not know why you are calling a vote on that. You know our agreement, Skipper. I must approve new crew members. Or are you going back on your promise to me about that? Aya hung her head. The fight seemed to drain out of her. She wore her heart on her sleeve, that was for certain. Without a doubt, she'd fallen in love with this ship. She wanted to be a part of this incompetent madness. Killian sighed, ground his teeth. Damn, did he want that beer. He had made that promise to Zan long ago. Zan was right, which was nothing new. I will stay true to my word, Exo, he said. But decide now. Is Aya a permanent part of this crew or not? It was time to get this over with. If Aya was out, well, then Killian could short-circuit whatever vote might be called for a suicidal effort 
to help Redwire stop some mysterious superweapon. The bantha horns flopped again as Anne turned to look at the broken-hearted girl in the wheelchair. You are asking me if this human should be part of the crew, Zan said. This human who missed a tracking beacon, the result of which was us almost getting killed? This human who lies about making external radcasts under her false identity, radcasts that could draw attention to us, that could make us an enemy of every government and every multi-system corporation out there? This human who seems to have trouble understanding and following protocol and outright orders? This human? Killian cringed inside. Aya seemed to shrivel. Zan was a tough customer. In situations like this, she was far tougher than Killian. That was why he'd permanently given her the role of deciding who stays and who goes. Yes, he said. That human. Zan Schmack strode closer to Aya. The girl refused to look up, instead keeping her watering eyes fixed on the floor. This human permanently joining our crew, Zan said. The answer to that question is an unequivocal yes. Aya's head snapped up. Tears lined her pale purple cheeks. What? What did you just say? Zan reached out a mismatched, three-fingered metal hand and put it on Aya's shoulder, the shoulder that hadn't been shot. You have earned your place, Zan said. If not for your skill, we would not have been able to penetrate the borehole's defenses. That was impressive. And if not for your cooperation with Beans and your bravery when Fanaka betrayed us, the skipper might still be in that prison or might be dead. You are one of us, Aya Omiata, if you wish to be. Aya nodded, spoke through a sob. Yes, yes I do. Killian smiled wide. He could say a lot of things about Zan, but being stupid wasn't one of them. Aya was perfect as part of this crew. It's done, he said. Aya is just another miscreant aboard the Oleron. Welcome aboard, so to speak. You? Uh, I'm a permanent crew member now, Aya said. Which means I will call a vote. Beans's tentacle snaked upward again. I still vote yes, yes, yes. Killian's smile faded. You're kidding me, he said. You finally become a permanent part of this crew, and the first thing you do is call a vote for something I already told you we are not doing? Aya nodded. Yes, Skipper. That's how this works, right? The insolent little bastard. She wanted to play it that way? Well, fine. I vote no, Killian said. Zan, if you'd kindly cast your no vote, we're tied and I get to break the ties. Then we can get on with getting Red wherever he needs to go and see about getting some paying work that won't get us killed. Eventually, I would learn how things worked on the ship. I vote yes, Zan said. I was prepared to call a vote myself, but Aya did so first. In fact, Aya, you bringing up the vote 
is one of the reasons I wanted you as a permanent crew member. One of many. Maybe later, Killian could be happy for Aya. For the moment, though, he could barely control his anger. His hands squeezed into fists. Zan, one betrayal today was enough, I think. Betrayal is rather dramatic, Mishmak said. I have always backed your wishes, Skipper, but this time it is different. Based on the effort Fanaka and Thorne put in to get Mr. Goldman, which in part validates his story, and based on Mr. Goldman's claims about this superweapon and what will happen if it is used, we must act now. We have been put in a position to impact the fate of the galaxy. I will not stand by and watch another world be destroyed. Killian felt a coldness in his chest. Zan never talked about her past. Never. She never made a reference to Orbital Station 4. That wasn't your fault, he said. That is debatable, Zan said. Yet this is not the time for a debate. We are committed, Skipper. He slapped a hand on his chair's armrest, sending up a puff of dust. I am the ship's captain. And I am the ship's conscience, Zan said, her tone calm and level. I know you have elements of your past you will not discuss, Skipper, but take it from someone who knows. If an entire world is destroyed and you had a chance to stop that from happening, it will haunt you for all your days. I know you better than anyone, even Mr. Goldman here. The crew has voted. We are doing this. If you wish to be dropped off somewhere, we will come back for you when this mission is over. His own rules used against him. His own morals, or what passed for them these days, used against him. This is mutiny, he said. This is democracy, Bean said. Redwire stood, stepped the five steps to Killian's chair. The white-skinned man reached out his hand. It's like the old days, Redwire said. Except this time, we really will make a difference. You know me, killer. You know I'm telling the truth. Please, help me. Redwire wasn't a 15-year-old kid anymore. He was a high-ranking member of the guild, a man who knew secrets. Critical secrets. A man who still cared. A man who still believed. Killian could almost remember what it was like to feel that way. Could he feel that way again? No, he could not. But Zan, Beans, and Aya were his family now. And no amount of time passed would change the bond he had with Redwire. Killian had ignored Recoil's plea for help, and now Recoil was gone. He would not stand by idly and let these sentients suffer the same fate. He reached out, took Redwire's hand. The two men shook. You're all a bunch of idiots, Killian said. That said, I won't let you do this without me. I'm in. 
Aya needed more painkillers. She hurt, she ached, and yet she was also filled with joy. She had become a permanent crew member. She was with family. She had won Zan over. The Oleran wasn't just a ship anymore. It was home. So, Rurgurk, she said. Super duper volcanic, right? Skipper laughed, shook his head. If only that was all we had to deal with. I've read up on it, Goldman said. Oceans of sulfuric acid cover two-thirds of the planet. Six moons create wild tidal forces. On the southern continent, tidal waves can rise to 30 meters high with surge speeds of 130 kilometers per hour. Skipper laughed again, shook his head again. He pulled a beer from his cooler, laughed some more. He started drinking. 30 meter high tidal waves, Aya said. Goldman nodded. Of sulfuric acid, Aya said. Goldman nodded. Aya looked at the sentience in the rumpus room. This is so nadir, it's a full napex, she said. Is it too late for me to take back my vote? Far too late, Zan said. You are one of us now. So assist us in figuring out how we do this mission and remain alive. Redwire, what will we need to do at Rurgurk? Do we need to go to the surface? Skipper polished off his first beer, pulled out a second, chuckling all the while. I certainly hope not, Goldman said. The sentient we need to reach is in a ship somewhere in the lower atmosphere. She has the cipher for the code I'm carrying. Beans perked up. But your milkiness, the bench who knew everything, claimed you had the cipher locked up and your perfect noggin. Yeah, Aya said. She said you had it memorized. Goldman picked absently at one of his blue bandages. Her intel was off, he said. She had it backward, in a way. I don't have the cipher. That's what we're going to Rurgurg to get. What's in my perfect noggin is the location of the place they are building the cruncher. To make a long story short, I don't know all the story, just my role in it, another corrupted guild member coded that information into a retrovirus. I was with the Krakens when I received that virus. I injected it into myself. Aya's heart beat faster. This was real-life spy stuff. Why she was excited by that, she didn't know. She had planned spy operations for years. Something about this, though? Something about the high stakes, being on the front lines instead of in some hidden bunker safe inside League of Planet space? It was exciting. It thrilled her. And she wasn't sure if that was a good thing. So that's why you didn't give up the intel to the bats when they tortured you, I said. Because you didn't actually know the intel. Goldman's expression clouded over. He stared down at the always soggy rumpus room carpet. The only reason I didn't give up the intel about my DNA is because they didn't ask about that he said. So quietly, his words were almost inaudible. I was there for months. After the first week, as far as I could gauge time in there, I told them anything they wanted to know. There are probably good guild members who are dead or captured because of me. I cracked. In the borehole, everyone 
cracks. The rumpus room fell silent. This didn't seem all that exciting anymore. Nothing to be ashamed of, Skipper said. The human body can only process so much pain before willpower shuts off, Red. Goldman was silent for a moment longer, then he nodded, lifted his head, and forced a smile. It's a good thing you all got me when you did, he said. I couldn't have taken much more before I volunteered information about the cruncher, my DNA, anything to get them to stop. Hell, I was already making things up just so they'd stop torturing me long enough to ask new questions. I wondered how they had tortured Goldman. What had they done to the man? You held on long enough, Skipper said. That's all that matters. So, what can you tell us about the sentient that has the cipher to your DNA code? Goldman's brow furrowed. Fanaka didn't know about Lulz? She did, Skipper said. She told me Lulz went crazy and committed suicide. What's that got to do with this? A smile, a real one this time, spread across Goldman's face. Killer, he said. Lulz is the contact we're going to see at Rurgirk. I knew the Vermada was infiltrating deeper into the uncorrupted guild, and I knew Lulz was about to be taken out, so I helped to fake her death. If my fake-out convinced even Hopscotch, looks like I did a good job. I had no idea who this sentient was, but the news of her survival seemed to hit Skipper hard. Some stress seemed to flow out of him. He relaxed more into his recliner. So Lulz isn't dead, he said. She's not crazy? Oh, she's battier than a Kratorocky mating ritual, Goldman said. She's become a phenomenal body sculptor and biohacker, but she's completely irrational, obsessed with conspiracy theories. In her world, there are shadows, and then there are shadows that live within the shadows, and then there are shadows that live within those shadows. There are shadows, Zan said. Many layers of them. We have seen that firsthand. Have we not? Goldman sighed, and the smile faded away. Truer words have never been spoken, he said. Especially not from a stuffed animal. Aya's excitement returned. Sure, there was danger. Dollops and dollops of danger. Maybe even beyond breaking into a secret prison and getting shot. But all of this. The spies. The deadly planets. The secret messages. The doomsday plots. It had Aya barely able to contain herself. Lulz is at Rurgirk, Goldman said. We go there. She decodes my intel. After that, more things become clear. What the Cruncher actually does, where it's being built, what the Vermada's plans are for it. Even if the Cruncher is already finished, if the info in my DNA is sufficient enough, we might be able to alert all the governments what's going on and what to look out for. We get to Lulz, and we save millions of lives, possibly billions. Of that, I have no doubt. Skipper took in a deep breath, then grunted as he got out of his recliner. Just remember, he said, you all voted for this. Zan, set the fastest course you can for Rurgirk. Beans, make sure everything is running fine, and do that before you go to work on a new flying mech for Zan, because I know how you operate. Aya, get your little butt back in the rejuve tank and get some sleep. Everyone, 
Grab some shut-eye while we can. We're gonna need it. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins, performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram, where he is at Scott Sigler, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2021 Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.